Welcome to Access U-Time. Tom Williams. It's a member drive special edition of the program. My special guest for the hour is Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books in Salt Lake City. Uh, later in the program, we're going to hear a couple of excerpts from my recent interview with Doug Peacock. And uh, we're inviting you through the hour to pledge your support to UPR to ensure that Access Utah and other programs uh, continue strong. Of course, uh, you likely uh, know at least part of Ken Sanders' bio. He's uh, been in the rare book business in Utah since the 1970s. He co-owned the Cosmic Airplane, founded Dream Garden Press in 1980, and uh, founded Ken Sanders' rare books in uh, 1990. uh, You can see him on Antiques Roadshow on uh, PBS. Um, he's uh, also been a part of the Antiquarian Booksellers Association of America, served on his board of governors, and uh, he was security chair for a while as uh, well, and uh, instrumental in uh, tracking down at least one book thief through that time. Um, Ken Sanders, thanks so much for joining us again. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. Uh, we 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 do appreciate it. We 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 wonder <laughs> we prevail on you again. We, but uh, but uh, thank you, you, thank you so much. Todd, you you keep asking. Okay, <laughs> right. thank you, thank you so much. Um, and you're you're providing some great incentives uh, for our listeners. Um, yes, sir. The Monkey Wrench Gang package. Um, so one hardbound copy of Monkey Wrench Gang by Edward Abbey, illustrated by our Crumb. A 1987 Monkey Wrench Gang calendar, six Monkey Wrench Gang t-shirts featuring characters as illustrated by our crumb, a six-pack of Monkey Wrench Gang collectible beer cans, empty. <laughs> We've, hasten to say, Courtesy of uh, the Fisher Brewing. Oh, oh, that's right wonderful. Right here in Salt Lake City. Yeah. It was a wonderful fundraiser the lads did for me uh, and the company about a year and a half ago. And we're offering this. They're, uh, they're sadly, I'm, I'm sorry to keep interrupting. No, sadly, fine. they're empty. Yes. The <laughs> illegal forces. Yes. To actually send you that, beer. That would be illegal. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd probably offer those full. Um, and uh, this package, so you get all of that uh, available today for a donation of $365 or $30 a month. So that's a great deal. And of course, the money, courtesy of Ken Sanders, comes to Utah Public Radio. Uh, so thank you, Consenters, for putting that up. Uh, a dollar a day. Dollar a day. That's all it takes, and uh, you can you can have that uh, that package. So we hope that you'll uh, you'll take advantage of that. Uh, also, uh, you're offering a, a first edition signed copy of Doug Peacock's latest book. Was it worth it? And that for a pledge of one hundred twenty dollars or ten dollars a month. That's a great deal as well. Doug Peacock is one of our elder gurus of the movement at this point. He's even older than I am, if that's conceivable. (laughs) And Doug's got a lot of wisdom and a lot of years, and he's come a lot of ways from those jungles of Vietnam in the 1960s, and wilderness bear advocate and loosely based character of George Washington Hayduke and Edward Abbey's novel, The Monkey Ranch King. Uh, and I would, let's jump in right uh, right now. I want to hear just a little excerpt from my recent uh, conversation with Doug Peacock. Talked to him several times. It's always a, a pleasure. Um, this is May of this year, and uh, this I think was after he had come and done a, an event for yeah, for you. A yeah, dog and pony show. Here yeah, yeah, that's great. At our our new bookstore at the Leonardo. At the Leonardo, yes, yes, yeah, indeed. We had a big, huge crowd for that. Oh, I'm glad you had a good crowd. Excellent. Um, well, let's let's just hear this. If I've got this queued up to the right place, uh, I want to hear um, Doug Peacock talking about George Washington Hayduke. Uh, so let's hear just a, just a little bit of this. 
This is called the Hayduk ancestry. Even today, the flash of a Hayduke lived bumper sticker is not an uncommon sight on the byways and in the parking lots of America. For me, this signals a public acknowledgement that the writings and teachings of Ed Abbey still matter. We care about the wild one and believe that maybe the wilderness is the only thing worth saving. How did the fictional character of George Washington Hayduke come into imagining? Only Edward Abbey could know precisely how those particular threads came together. But the part of George that Ed borrowed from the real-life Peacock had distinct origins that were rooted in wilderness and both the trauma and value of recovering from war. The most indispensable wilderness... Get this phone out here. Um, the most indispensable wilderness experience in my life arrived quite accidentally in Yellowstone National Park during the decade after I returned from Vietnam. Accidental because I stumbled into the Parch Lodgepole pine forest at the peak of a hallucinatory malaria paroxysm. I had lots of them, so this was not uncommon. And this one started in the high Eastern Wind River range where I was climbing and I had to get the hell out of it. So I, I, uh, I stumbled into Yellowstone with a fever of 105 or so, and I was out of my hat. And uh, anyway, so I knew it was coming. Mm. And I dreamed of grizzlies in Yellowstone that turned out to be real bears. That experience can't be replicated today because of human overcrowding. It occurred long enough ago that the National Park Service didn't especially think a wacko hiding out in their backcountry was worth looking for. That was a combat vet Ed Abbey met in 1968 and upon whom he later based the fictional character of George Washington Haytu. Mm -hmm. You know, I was I, I was a little crazy back then, so I'll, I'll just read on just another paragraph to show how wacko I was in those days. With its wildlife, wilderness, and thermal areas of refuge from deep snows, I considered Yellowstone's backcountry a paradise and wanted to indulge in pockets of it without interference from the outside world. This was still possible in the Yellowstone long before talk of bringing in fast food and the internet to National Park Service campgrounds. That was Trump. It also meant I had to hide out, like an escaped POW might have, have attempted in Vietnam. <clears throat> At that time, there was no sane boundary for me between living in the edge of the Yellowstone National Park and the fantasy of looting captured by the Viet Cong hunting for me in the jungles of Vietnam. I had one close call in Southeast Asia and had yet to shake the nightmare loose. I wanted to chisel that episode out of my life like a malignant lesion, but back then I couldn't. I was terrified of someone finding me camped in the woods of Yellowstone. I traveled with this irrational fear buried in my backpack while tramping across the meadows and through the lodgepole pine forest. The shrinks would try to provide chunky terminology for this pathology a decade and a half later with the term PTSD and such. 
in the meantime, I've prowled around Yellowstone like a madman. Well, anyway, yeah. it, it turned out to be, you know, turned out to be the right thing to do if you, you know, by, uh, by the time uh, this chapter takes place, I'd started filming grizzly bears full time. So it was a good, you know, being a little crazy didn't hurt a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's just an excerpt from my interview. He's reading from his book, Was It Worth It? That's Doug Peacock, who's the inspiration for Red Abbey's um, George Washington uh, Hey Duke. Um, so uh, Doug Peacock or, or um, uh, Ken Sanders um so he he treated that head on there right he's he's the uh basis for george washington hayduke he, he's not george washington hayduke right um but but he's uh, george, uh, doug peacock has a fascinating story in and of itself he yes he he came out of vietnam was looking for healing and he, he went out to the backcountry yeah D- dougie was looking for something higher up on the food chain than he was <laughs> uh and in the grizzly bears of yellowstone country he found it and I've I've talked to him before that uh, part of that was, uh, you know, it's kind of the danger. This is this is you know higher up on the food chain, as you say, a animal that could eat him. Uh, yeah, absolutely correct. On um, he D- Douglas Arapaho Peacock, aka Dougie, as I call him, is a force of nature. Ask anybody to spend any time around him. Ask Terry Tempest Williams about the meal he cooked for her up Immigration Canyon many decades ago and <laughs> practically destroyed her kitchen in the process. <laughs> Having Doug Peacock indoors with you is like sharing your space with a tornado. He's just a unique force of nature, and I dearly love that man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, a life's work, well, part of his life's work, uh, preserving the, the, the bears, right? Oh, he filming he's been, them and and yeah, he's he went through his his Bear Foundation and also his decades of work with Dennis Sizemore and Round River Conservation, who's just celebrated their 30th anniversary. There's there's so many people just locally that have done so much good work, and it's actually a good segue into uh, another old friend of ours, um, David Foreman, the co-founder and spiritual leader of Earth First, always with the. Uh, explanation point uh, passed away Monday night earlier this week of a long-standing and extremely rare lung disease. And Dave Foreman is no longer howling with the wolves anymore. And I'm having a hard time processing that. Uh, Dave, like Peacock and others, have been a real force of nature in my life. Ed- Edward Abbey's been dead 33 years or so now. Charles Bowden, another force of nature, has been dead eight years as of August 30th. Um, let me let me give you one little piece from um, his seminal book with Alice Leora Briggs, powerful artwork to Dreamland by Charles Bowden. Um, Got to put the magic specs on for this one. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I hear this chant in my head. The mere beginning of a song will someday be on everyone's lips. No one is illegal, but we are all criminals. The first line will be chanted by children, the second by adults. Since we all truly are human, we all truly have human rights. And since we all truly help to kill the planet, 
the skies, the soils, the seas, the giant fish of the vast deep. We are all guilty, and when some bestial court is finally called to order, we will all be convicted. Amen. The house of death, a fragment for the indictment, the millions moving north through the dust to escape doom. One more fragment. The drugs flowing north like a river of joy. Yes, add that to the indictment. But these are all the little charges dancing around the big charge. Planet murder. Chuck Bowden had a way with words himself. Yes, yes. Yes, it's it's quite stark. Um, uh, his he left at Abbey left us a legacy of twenty one books. Chuck Bowden did the same. So far, Dougie's got about seven or eight in him with this this latest one. And uh, now Dave Foreman, who did actually write a, two or three books himself, he's gone too. So I'm I'm, I'm feeling a lot of uh, a lot of losses uh, lately, and I'm in my middle of of one, I'm not sure what to call it. Uh, it maybe it's I, I, my final act, my my transformation, my my metamorphosis. You know, after 25 years downtown in this location, as you know, uh, the developers, uh, as they do, are developing us and tearing us down. the The buildings surrounding us have all been torn down. The uh, Across the street, every day we watch them build their their tower to heaven. It's going up 31 stories. They only got a couple of up so far, but it's enough to to wall off the view of the Wasatch Mountains that we used to have uh, from 1847 until um, a year ago. But now that's gone, and as and they've only gone up two of the 31 stories, so pretty much the sky is going to be gone. So probably by the time all of this development gets done around me, um, I'm going to be gone and will be gone. But this is this is where I might be 70 years old, but I'm not ready to quit. I don't understand what retirement is. What I do is a lifeblood, a life force for me. And yes, you can you you I can. For, Code it with all these noble causes like culture and literacy and things that that your radio station and my bookstore and culture loving people your listeners all believe in. But really, it's for me to buy one more book. I can't quit mm-hmm. buying books. <laughs> so I have a partnership with Salt Lake City and with the Leonardo Museum, which is conveniently two blocks to the north. And we've spent a year and a half now opening a um, small bookstore on the first floor, the main floor, the west side of the Leonardo. And this very Saturday, coming up a few days from today, is the grand opening of the Ken Sanders Rare Books Children's Bookstore at the Leonardo. We held a contest, and we had a bunch of entries for it to name the new space for kids. It's about 300 square feet room that's dedicated to books for children and their parents. And I'm really, really excited about it. The, the singer-songwriter Kate McLeod is going to come and sing songs for the kiddies. I'm going to scare them by reading them things <laughs> uh, like uh, Maurice Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are and other favorites. Um, by the way, the, the winning title for the 
to pay homage to uh, Mr. Sendak, we've changed it a little bit. Uh, Terry Tempest Williams has is the winner, and it's it's this is not a rigged contest. Terry was so excited when I told her. She said, "This is the only contest I've ever won in my life." <laughs> so her winning entry was "Where the Wild Things Are." We have slightly changed it to "Where the Wild Things Be," and any child that shows up at the Leonardo Ken Sanders Rare Books opening between uh, this Saturday noon to two is the official program. You bring your kid. They get a free book that they get to pick out with their very own eyes and hands. Because I think the future is the children. We have to educate them. And I'm going to do an awkward segue, not really, into, hey, it's banned book weeks coming up. And boy, howdy, are they out to get us, man. They're banning everything. They're banning every kind of book you could ever imagine. And it's, it's, this is a really, really simple thing, Okay. It's it's going national. Clearly, it's being organized. Um, you, as a parent, get to choose and guide your own children through life and through the books they read. And we have books in, in my store that are for adults only for a lot of different reasons. You know, maybe a 10-year-old kid, you, you're not, you can't tackle Franz Kafka when you're 10. Not most kids, anyway. And... But it's your absolute right as a parent to choose what your children get to read. But when you start thinking that you can choose what other children can't read and start banning books, you've crossed a line. And we won't let you cross that line. The more books you ban, all you're doing is giving me more ideas of books to stock so that my people can come and get the books that they want to read for themselves and to allow their children to read. The, so that's you, my message on Banned Books Week. Yeah, a good message. Um, is, is this ramping up, do you think? This is getting worse? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's being organized in libraries and school libraries and public schools and public libraries all over the country. It's clearly organized, and it's all about intolerance and hatred. That's not my bookstore. We, we are here to serve our community, and our community, even in you know, white bread Utah, we have minorities, and we try to give voice to all of those minorities, and that's the beauty of what's been happening in children's book publishing for many, many years now. A black person or a brown child can see themselves reflected in the literature of the books, and that's something that when I was a kid didn't happen. And it's happening now, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing. It's nothing to be afraid of. We learn from other cultures. This country's built on other cultures, and we need to get back to rejoicing that and embracing that. And that's part of what I'm so excited about, my new bookstore at the Leo. And this Saturday, I think about noon to 2, somewhere in there, uh, Kate McLeod's going to read songs, lead lead kids in songs. We're going to have a bunch of goofiness and fun, and every single child that shows up gets to pick their own free book. Mm. Do you have a favorite children's book? 
Oh, come on. That's like having a favorite child for crying out loud. Of course I do. I would I I I'd need to become a fundamentalist polygamist to 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 to, to own them all for crying out loud. Yes, of course I do. Where the wild things are. Mm-hmm. Um, the the shy stegosaurus of Cricket Creek by Evelyn Lampman. That's one of my faves. The the um Princess and the Goblin and the Princess and Curdie by George MacDonald. Oh, my stars and whiskers when I was a kid. Goblins and miners and princesses and, oh, my, it was just wonderful, wonderful books. Um, Ulderico's um, The Rainbow Goblins and the sequel to The the um, uh, White Goblin and, and Lewis Carroll's. I mean, there's just never a better favorite Jabberwocky. It might be too scary. I could read that Saturday. I haven't decided yet. Mm-hmm. And not that it's a children's book by any imagine, but one of my favorite books from my own youth was The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just there's hundreds of favorites. Yeah. Do you think there's a there, obviously books is a through line through your whole life, right? Do you do you think there's a yes. Uh, that excitement of, uh, I guess, encountering a new book as as a kid, did it, that, that continued for you, I, I think, becoming uh, a bookseller. Oh, to this very day. I mean, I, I still learn about strange, weird books from my customers. They, they, you know, a bookstore, bookstores are often very personality-propelled and uh, uh, based. You know, Sam, the late Sam Weller, Betsy Burton retired and sold the King's English now. Very forceful, magnetic personalities in our communities. But bookstores are greater than their creators. They have to be. It's a combination of all the people through all the years that come in. And the staff and the employees as well. They all shape your bookstore. It's far better than... How, how could one person, no matter whom you are, know that much? Well, the answer is we can't, and we learn from you, and that's the beauty of it. I, I'm old, and I, man, I forget things so fast these days, it's ridiculous, but that just means I can learn more stuff. <laughs> no, no more, the memory's not bigger, that's for sure. You, you, I'm guessing that you still like to hold a book in your hand. Did, have you read electronic books? Uh, no, I mean, I do read articles and crap online. I don't like it. It, it's it's really it's uncomfortable. I I don't hate it for others. I mean, back when my daughter was in school, I I bought her a a uh, device from a company that I hate. I don't think I would do that today because I hate them far more. Uh, they're they're known as a Damazon. Have you ever heard of them? <laughs> I've heard of them. Yes. Yeah, Damazon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're less they're... than less than five percent of Damazon sales are books today. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, the, I guess uh, big companies like that are probably putting the squeeze on operations like, like yours. Well, there's no question. They, it's so easy to order books online. Look, I'm, we have, we have 100,000 books here, but newsflash, you know, Amazon's got 5 million, 50 million, whatever. Uh, well, they pretend they do. They may not actually have that many. Can I ever own that many books? No, it'd be foolish. There's no way to for independents to do it. But 
but were integral building blocks of communities. And Amazon, who has closed their feeble attempt at retail bookshops because they didn't work and they cost them too much money, that's because we do it for love, not for money. We have to make money to stay in business, just like you guys are. I'm actually, you know, a for-profit corporation. You, Utah Public Radio isn't. You guys are a non-profit foundation. But guess what? We both still have to make money because you have bills to pay. I bet you have an electric bill up there just like I do. Yep, certainly And, then, certainly and you true. have all these programming bills and bills that I don't know anything about. Yeah. So the money has to come from somewhere. And I don't know, this seems like a radical idea, but I would rather money comes from love than from hate. Let's give money to things that we love instead of trying to fund hatred, which seems to be the dominant paradigm these past few years. Let's go with what we love. And, and yeah, give the money away. I mean, I don't have any. Another reason I can't retire, well, huh, then I wouldn't have any money. Yeah, right. I mean, this this is... I'm not somebody you'd want to take investment advice from, let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, well, that's a great segue into uh, the UPR member drive here. So, um, you know, Ken Sanders is a member of UPR. Why, why do you? Well, you you've, you've said it a little bit there, but maybe you expand on that. Why do you uh, support uh, public radio? Well, because it's doing something... and. It's not to knock commercial radio or commercial. I mean, I'm a commercial business. I'm a commercial bookstore. But public, public radio and public television, we, we need these nonprofits who, whose very driving engine isn't greed and avarice and just to get more money. It's to provide a voice for your local community and national sometimes, too, to give people that don't have voices, that don't get to be on the radio, and give them a voice and tell us what's going on in our communities, what's, what's happening, what's important, what do people think, what do they believe in, what do they want, what do they value. And if you value diversity and open-minded thinking, it seems logical to me to support your local public radio stations. Well, here's how to do that. You can call 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or you can go online to upr.org. That's upr.org. Or on your UPR app, click the Donate Now button. And Ken Sanders, not only on with us here helping us, but he's put up uh, some uh, couple of uh, incentives for you. Uh, he's put up a monkey wrench gang package uh, from Ken Sanders Rare Books. So this includes one hardbound copy of the Monkey Wrench Gang by Edward Abbey, illustrated by R. Crumb, a 1987 Monkey Wrench Gang calendar, six Monkey Wrench Gang t-shirts featuring characters as illustrated by R. Crumb, and a six-pack of Monkey Wrench Gang collectible beer cans, empty, featuring characters as illustrated by uh, R. Crumb. Uh, there's only one of this package, this one package, and uh, the first person who uh, comes in at uh, $365 or $30 a month gets this package, and 
and uh, the money goes to UPR, courtesy of Ken Sanders. So thanks, Ken Sanders, for that. So 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org. Uh, also, uh, Ken Sanders is offering a the latest book by Doug Peacock, Was It Worth It? Uh, it's a wonderful book. Uh, the subtitle is A Wilderness Warrior's Long Trail Home. That's uh, out for this year, and uh, this is uh, first edition signed by the author. Autographed first edition. The autographed first edition, and uh, that's for a donation of $10 a month or $120. There's only one of these, so uh, again, uh, call 800-826-1495 or upr.org. That's uh, upr.org. And right now, your uh, donation is doubled, dollar for dollar, because uh, some uh, generous listeners in Southern Utah have banded together to uh, match your pledge. A lot of good hey. happens when you call. So call right now, 800-826-1495 or upr.org. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with Ken Sanders following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's a member drive special edition of the program. We're joined by Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books in Salt Lake City. Uh, Ken Sanders uh, is at the Leonardo uh, these days. And uh, he's opening a children's section, right? A big events, Ken Sanders, on Saturday. Uh, tell us yes, just sir. a little bit about that again. Yeah, we're going to have the fabulous singer-songwriter Kate McLeod doing songs with the kids, children's songs. Um, I think we're probably going to get into some kind of double dare thing where she'll sing a really goofy song if I act it out and perform it for the children. <laughs> so if you want to... I mean, parents, you might want to bring some really good protective, you know, uh, sunglasses or something so you don't have to watch. (laughs) For the amusement of your children, every kid that shows up not only gets a free book, but they get to pick their free book. That's the important part. Kids are going to read more if they're invested in what they get to read. And as far as I'm concerned, reading anything from comic books to Harry Potter books to you know, great literature, it all counts. It's all reading. And reading is a different function than looking at a screen. You process, it's just like writing, but with, with your hand and a pencil or a pen is a different process than, than, than keyboarding. And we learn things that way. And everyone comes to books. Some people, you know, are natural born readers. Uh, certainly I was blessed and both my children and now my grandchildren uh, are really terrific readers. Other other kids struggle with it, and uh, you know there's a, a a lot of reasons for that that we know about now. That when I was a kid in the 1950s, going to elementary school, we didn't know about such things. So, but books are about information, but they're about joy. I collect. I love books as much for their words as I do for their pictures. And to me, it's the easiest way I know of empowering children Mm. to let them choose and read their own books. So come bring your kids, get a free book, put up with the rest of the nonsense. Kate McLeod is a wonderful singer-songwriter. I'm certain she'll do things from Shel Silverstein to, well, who knows? I mean, she's she's the singer-songwriter, not Mm. Me as, as well, evident. Yeah, uh, I ask you about uh, favorite children's books. What about is there 
you know, a, a book that's got you excited lately, um, the, the, you know, apart from children's books? Uh, oh, you know, um, okay, I have a confession to make. We're, what, three years now into the, the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, for a goodly portion of that time, I almost didn't read. Really? I, I, I can't explain it to you. I don't know what what was going on. It was pretty heavy psychologically, I think. But I'm back, and I'm back to mm-hmm. reading omnivorously. Phew. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, um... It's been a few years ago, before the pandemic. Uh, he's not an Idaho native, but he's been up there for most of his life now. Anthony Doerr wrote an extraordinary novel that won a Pulitzer Prize called All the Light You Cannot See. Mm, yeah, it's a wonderful book. Oh, that book, I, the, as I got past the halfway point, I kept reading it slower and more slowly <laughs> and slowly. I didn't want it to end. Mm-hmm. Well, he's written, you know, he's not the kind of bestseller guy that you know, knocks out a book every fall, you know, for the publicity. But he's got a new one out, and however many years later, called Cloud Cuckoo Land. It's a complex novel. It takes place in ancient Greece, modern-day Idaho, and an unspecified future. It's nonlinear. It's non-chronological. It's a tougher read than uh, All the Light, um, but it's as brilliant, more brilliant. Um, I'm being very careful not to, to do any tells with it. It's very, very complicated. Three different stories over thousands of years worth of time. And he pulls it off, and he weaves all the story into to one narrative, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's a, it's certainly the best book that I have read this year. Oh, it's wonderful! Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I want to follow up with your. Uh, that's I mean, that's a big thing for for a Ken Sanders voracious reader not to hardly read anything during the during the pandemic, the height I'd of the, pan, the pandemic. About a year and a, about a year and a half. Yeah. Why do you think that was? I I don't have any idea. I, I you know probably need a shrink. I don't know. Mm, yeah. I, I I don't know. I don't know what happened. It just got derailed. I just couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I'm the, you know I tend to usually I mostly read at night and I, you know I'm in the book business. You could say reading is my job, but if you think you're going to work at this bookstore and sit around and read books during the day, you're out of your 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 ever-loving mind. <laughs> you just have to work. You have to do crap. You have to put the books away. You're not supposed to read them. Yeah, yeah. Take it home and read it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting that I think uh, the you know the pandemic derailed most of us in certain ways. That's interesting that it uh, you know knocked you off reading. I'm glad you're back. There's a lot of a lot of ways it's derailed us and it's still derailing us. I mean, we're living in a country for crying out loud. What I'm being fed is, uh, let's see, there's a former president bragging about, well, if I had gone to the Queen's funeral, I would have gotten better seats than the current president, except the former deluded guy wasn't even invited to the funeral of some 
very, very ancient queen in a land where a lot of us used to come from. And it's like, what? What? why am I reading this? Why, why are you poisoning me with this nonsense? And then there's some new, you know, um, uh, social media thing that, that now we have to have warnings. Do not cook your chicken in NyQuil. Oh, I saw that, yes. Oh, oh please. <laughs> Seriously, what yeah. else maybe shouldn't we cook our chicken in? <laughs> How about crack cocaine? How about heroin? I mean, what in God's name have we come to that we have to have warnings like this? Where are we living? What are we believing in? Where, where did reality's gone? Where did it go? Well, maybe I can do a little segue here, kind of an uncomfortable segue, but uh, we like to think we're on a little higher plane in public radio. How's that for Amen, a segue, Ken? Um, so, so um, Ken, your uh, appeal again, uh, to fellow listeners, uh, why support this, uh, this enterprise? Because I hope you'll always tell us the truth. And for the very reason you say, that we don't have to listen to painful nonsense about stupid things that stupid people are doing, that we can try to build up and support a community. It all begins locally. Nothing starts on a national (coughs) or an international level. We have to build it in our own communities. And if people think it's okay to take over school boards and school libraries and pervert them to their own uh, strange ambitions, then we have to make a stand and we have to have the knowledge and the communication to make informed decisions to say otherwise. No, that's not okay. The empire is not, the emperor is not wearing any clothes. Make him go put some on. That's what we need you for. Here's how to support uh, Utah Public Radio, Access Utah, the other programs, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org, upr.org. And Ken Sanders is putting up um, a package. This is, There's one of these only, so the first uh, caller who uh, can kick in $365 or $30 a month will get this. Um, we'd love to send this out to you, and this is made uh, possible by Ken Sanders. Um, the, a hardbound copy of Monkey Wrench Gang by Edward Abbey, illustrated by R. Crumb. Uh, 1987 Monkey Wrench Gang calendar, six Monkey Wrench Gang t-shirts featuring characters as illustrated by R. Crumb, and a six-pack of Monkey Wrench Gang collectible beer cans, these are empty, featuring characters as illustrated by R. Crumb. This is the Monkey Wrench Gang package from Ken Sanders' Rare Books. And that's uh, for a pledge of $30 a month or $365. That is only one of these, so I hope you'll uh, pick that up if you would like. You have to be the first one. Uh, Also, Ken Sanders is putting up, making available, uh, first edition autographed uh, copy of Was It Worth It? That's the latest book by Doug Peacock. Um, The subtitle is Wilderness Warriors Long Trail Home. That's for a pledge of $10 a month or $120. Uh, here's how you uh, would get one of those, uh, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org. We'll take another break. We'll be back with uh, Ken Setters.
Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We have Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books in Salt Lake City with us on uh, the program. Um, and it's a special member drive edition of the program. Ken Sanders, uh, you got this Monkey Wrench Gang package. Uh, thank you so much. Yes. Um, I want to talk about Ed Abbey. You knew Ed Abbey. Are, are people still coming in, getting Monkey Wrench Gangs, Desert Solitaire, still reading the books? books? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, as any author could tell you, death is the best move you can ever make for your book sales. You know, Desert Solitaire, published in 1968, was remaindered. It didn't sell out its first edition of 5,000 copies. I get, oh, you know, a couple of thousand dollars for a signed first edition of those now when I can find them. And the, both Desert Solitaire and the Monkey Wrench gone, have gone on to sell millions of copies, Tom. Millions of copies. And it's, it's a phenomenon. Was Edward Abbey a perfect human being? Of course he wasn't. Um, none of us are. But Ed, like others we've talked about today, he was a force of nature, like Terry Tempest Williams is a force of nature, with her voice and her works over the years. <clears throat> the writer Amy Irvine wrote uh, a little essay that turned into a book of its own called Desert Cabal a couple of years ago for the 50th anniversary um, of uh, Desert, the publication of Desert Solitaire, and she ruffled a lot of feathers with it. She, It's a conversation that she had with Ed, and she starts out, well, I'm going to continue to call you Mr. Abby, not Cactus Ed, like your friends and family may do. I'm not so certain how close I wish to get to you. And she goes on with love and respect to kind of take Ed out to to, to the, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it run, him, run him through his paces and question him on a number of things in Desert Solitaire. It's too complicated and involved to get into here, but I would highly recommend that people read both Edward Abbey's Desert Solitaire and Amy Irvine's Desert Cabal for a different perspective. And that's that's what we're talking about here on public radio is diversity of voices and how it's important to listen to them both. And we can do that, and we can have our disagreements. Of course, uh, Eddie Abbey was at the time, still is, seen as, in some circles, as radical, right? As a radical vision. Monkey wrenching, you know, becomes a, 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 a verb, um, you know, sabotage, etc. Uh, well, you th- and again, back to where we started, Dave Foreman founded, you know, Earth First was the real-life monkey wrench gang, totally inspired by Edward Abbey. Um, I met them. Ed called me up. Ken, this is Ed. Going down to Lone Rock Campground for some kind of spring rites. I never called Ed Abbey because Ed hated talking on the telephone and he wouldn't talk. He'd just sit there and then hang up. So I went down to meet him. And instead of Ed Abbey, I got confronted by a Volkswagen bus full of redneck hippies with a giant piece of plastic drooling off it. And they were like, who the heck are you? What the heck are you doing down here? And it's like, I didn't care for their bedside manner. They were pretty hostile. Later that evening, Ed Abbey shows up, and Dave Foreman and the rest of Earth First proceeded to 
inform me of their plans to drop a 300-foot plastic crack down the face of Glen Canyon Dam early the next morning. And that's how I met Earth First, and we went on to have lots of adventures uh, dumping uh, fake radioactive waste all over the DOE and the heads and the governor's head at the old Hotel Utah in 83 to protest the Canyonlands nuke dump, and all kinds of wild adventures in the 80s, much too lengthy to go into here. And certainly, uh, Foreman and Company, not to mention Ed Abbey, certainly changed my life and many, many other people's lives. I was kind of getting old, and even though I was probably only 30 years old, I was, I was kind of getting old and jaded in the uh, in the 80s, Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, what's, what's Ed Adbury's uh, legacy today? Do you, do you think that idea has changed, or is it the same idea? The wilderness needs no defenders, or ne- needs no defense, only more defenders. Growth, for the sake of growth, the ideology of the cancer cell. Um, those of you that, I mean, and there are many that read him, born since he died, um, read his books. Ed, Ed Abbey unmasks himself in in his own books. He He's a rare writer that can talk about himself in the first person, um, but he does so by creating a fictional Ed Abbey, and he can pull it off. Most writers, when they start talking about themselves in the wilderness in the first person, man, oh man, does that ever get boring fast, and there's a legion of those kind of people. But we've got a great legacy of of writers writing about our desert from uh, not just our deserts, but just our wild places. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, who now known as a mass school shooting, but she was the wonderful environmentalist and writer of the Everglades River of Grass. Um, you know, Annie Dillard and, and Pilgrim at Tinker Creek and uh, Ann Zwinger and all her books on Colorado and the Colorado Plateau and the Green River, Wind in the Rock and the Southern Utah Plateau Country and Terry Tempest Williams and Rachel Carson and Edward Abbey, and Aldo Leopold, and Robert Marshall, and Margaret Murray, and we could just go on and on and on. Write about your sense of place. Henry Beston's The Outermost House on Cape Cod, or our own Edward Leaders in his beautiful uh, beautiful book called The Clam Lake Papers, about a season in the North Woods. Um, he was Ed Leaders was Terry Tempest. Williams lit teacher way back that went up to the U of U, long retired now and gone blind, can't read anymore. But he left us of all the books he wrote, that's the one and nobody's heard of it. Clam Lake Papers by Edward Leaders. Beautiful lyrical twentieth century Walden. Mm. There's lots out there to discover, Tom. Yeah, that's a, that's a great list. Thank you, thank you for that. Um, and we're we're near the end of the program here. Um, I wonder of. The, another appeal to our, our listeners here. You've uh, put up some great packages. I'll tell people about that as well. But uh, uh, again, I guess the question is, why do you give? Why should others join you in support of, of this kind of programming? Because without this kind of programming, what are we left with? We're, we're left with frying chicken and, and NyQuil, for crying out loud. Uh, who needs that? 
don't need that. It's making me really annoyed. Um, we need, I mean, I like to live in my own head. I, I can, I would love to create fantasies. Um, uh, but, you know, occasional dose of reality is not going to hurt. We've got real work to do. Let's listen to our elders. Let's listen to the Wendell Berries and the, the rest of them. Um, there's real work to do. I mean, we've got a lake that's drying up. We have a river that's drying up, and everybody's like, oh, you know, who helped me save my lake? Who said, you know, wait a minute, how did we get to this state? Well, we all did it, you know? The Rolling Stones, who killed the Kennedys song in the 60s? Well, it was you and me. We don't have to look any further. We have to change our ways. We, and we, we need instruction. We need voices. We, we can't all just live in our own heads and listen to our own voices and every single person that agrees with us. It might be fun, but we need more than that. We need variety in our diet. And we need to get serious about climate change and the planet that our children, grandchildren, and so on and so forth are inheriting. What are we doing about it? Maybe we need to get real. So let's start with supporting voices that help us educate ourselves. And no matter how bad the short-term memory goes, um, remind us of these things lost and where we need to go, where we need to be. Well, uh, Ken Sanders uh, has put out the appeal there, and he's also put up a couple of uh, packages here. One is a um, autographed first edition uh, copy of the new book by Doug Peacock, Was It Worth It? That's out just this year. That's for a pledge of $10 a month. If you can come at that level, be the first one in, you'll get that uh, book, signed copy of that book. Uh, the other uh, package is a Monkey Wrench Gang package. Monkey Wrench Gang, of course, by Ed Abbey. And uh, for a pledge of $30 a month, you have to be the first one. There's only one of these uh, left. Here's what you get in that package. A hardbound copy of the Monkey Wrench Gang by Edward Abbey, illustrated by R. Crumb. 1987 Monkey Wrench Gang calendar. Uh, six Monkey Wrench Gang t-shirts featuring characters it's illustrated by our crumb and a six-pack of Monkey Wrench Gang collectible beer cans, empty, featuring uh, characters illustrated by our crumb. $30 a month. Be the first one in. You can get that uh, package. Well, Ken Sanders, uh, thank you so much. We appreciate it a lot. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Tom. Always fun. Always fun. Thank you. And uh, do check out Ken Sanders Rare Books. And that event on Saturday featuring Kate McLeod will uh, kick off the children's uh, section at uh, Ken Sanders at the Leonardo. Um, and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah today. Many cultures, one sky, coming to you from the thriving Poposhella River near the Wind River Range of Wyoming. As we look up into the sky in the morning, into the blue, in the afternoon some puffy clouds, and when the afternoon starts to turn to dusk and the twilight's last gleaming, the blue gets darker. And before it starts to turn purple, Big Arcturus makes an appearance in the south above the pine trees, and directly overhead is Sparkling Vega. Then you can find the Summer Triangle, or Cygnus the Swan, which, yes, is still way up in the sky. As we work our way to the autumnal equinox coming up, this area has the Milky Way run right through it. And has amazing star trails to scope out when it gets a little bit darker. And in the meantime, 
Get out in the mountains by a rushing stream and check out Sagittarius coming up with nebula clusters in the center of the galaxy before Saturn and its jaunty rings and, and later giant Jupiter and its ever-changing moons comes up and away we go all night long and coming up on September 23rd the aforementioned equinox marks the start of fall in the northern hemisphere and spring in the southern these occur twice a year when the earth's tilt is just right and tilts to the sun it's the same for both hemispheres both north and south receive the same amount of sunlight and day and night are briefly the same length. And taking the Skywatcher ship out to Jupiter to join NASA's Juno spacecraft, which is performing some amazing feats, and we'll be making a very fast flyby of one of the icy moons, Europa, which underneath the ice has liquid which could possibly lead to life. Juno passes a mere 200 miles above its surface on September 29th. Stay tuned for pictures from NASA and JPL. And of course, the new moon rocket lifts off soon as engineers work on a hydrogen leak on one of the engines and make sure that everything is working just right. NASA will be lifting off with the sequel to Apollo in the next few days or in October, so stay tuned. It's many cultures, one sky. This is Taninja. Every morning the birds come, excited for the day, excited to feel the sun or the rain or whatever the universe offers, not concerned with yesterday or tomorrow, but only the now, the full joy of this moment. It's the delicate creatures that are the wisest. So aware of the fragility of life, they waste no time in achieving happiness. They already know what is important. Breathe the air in deeply, calm your soul. The secret is being told in the chirps and melodies. Listen. So look up, look around, and get lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. UPR, with translator stations statewide and streaming live at upr.org.